Pushkin. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. In 2005, I got my childhood dream job, a writer on a network sitcom. I was so insanely excited for my first day. I drove up to the Universal Studios gate, gave them my name. Then I pulled it into a parking spot next to this office that had a cone that had a sign with my name on it. And it said, producer over it. I stared at that sign for like a full minute in disbelief of my childhood dream coming true. Then this Porsche 911 pulled up into the spot next to mine and knocked down its cone as a fellow writer stomped out towards the office. He was not sharing my excitement. In the first week, another writer explained the job this way. You get to take a first class trip to Europe every day, but you never actually get to go to Europe. You sit in a really nice chair from 10 a.m. until at least 7 p.m., often much longer. Someone brings you amazing food to your seat. You get to look out a window and you get to go to the bathroom, but you never get anywhere. The majority of the job isn't so much writing as it is sitting in a 10-hour meeting every day. You group talk. That's the job. The two times I've worked in a writer's room, I haven't liked myself. I was critical and very unsure of my ideas and utterly unpersuasive about them. The people who were great in those rooms were storytellers. A lot of the times they pulled these stories from their own lives. And those stories got turned into scripts. This week's story is about someone who was really good at telling stories about her life. A little too good. Writing is hard, who's got that kind of time? When you're already busy trying to be Joe Stein. So he turns on a mic, maybe twiddles a knob, calls a journalist friend who's got an actual job. Auditory, single story, just listen to smart people speak. Conversation filled with information, it's the story of the week. 
Elizabeth Finch told such good stories that she was propelled into the writer's room of one of the most successful TV shows of all time, Grey's Anatomy. But her stories had some big problems. They were all lies. Peter Kiefer broke this story, which is all true, for The Angler. Peter, thank you for coming on the show. How did you first come across the story? We at The Angler, we got a anonymous tip. It's one of those classic anonymous tips. I hadn't even heard of Elizabeth at the time. I obviously, like everyone in the world, know about Grey's Anatomy, but I was not some huge fan or I hadn't watched many episodes. But my editor was adamant that this was a potentially huge story. Was the most shocking part of this anonymous tip finding out that Grey's Anatomy was still on the air? I mean, it's kind of incredible. I think it's like, it's in its 19th season. You know, wow. that's, it, it's like just becomes part of the cultural landscape. Okay, so Elizabeth Finch grows up in the 1990s in New Jersey, and she kind of dreamed of being a TV writer, but basically seems like a normal childhood, right? I believe so, yeah. One of these classic suburban New Jersey places sounded leafy, and she went to a very, I think the public school she went to was excellent. And as best I could tell, she was awkward as a kid. She was very bookish. She was drawn to stories and storytelling, and she was writing plays at a very early age. So she, I think she had signs of precociousness when it came to this. I don't think she was particularly social. So yeah, by most of the signs I saw or she told me about were that her life externally was pretty normal. Okay. So she moves away. She goes to USC film school, and she gets an assistant job in a TV writer's room. And then, then she gets a big break, which is writing for HBO's True Blood. And she did pretty well there, right? Right. She was very low on the totem pole at True Blood, but the showrunner took a liking to her. And I think mm. they gave her a shot at writing one episode, which at that stage of her career was not particularly normal. Yeah. I think she co-wrote it with another writer and they did an excellent job. And so that really set the stage for a pretty meteoric rise uh, after that for her. While she's at True Blood, she tells everyone in the writer's room that she's got this horrifying, incredibly rare form of bone cancer. Correct. Yeah. She told people she was she had been diagnosed, they'd found a tumor, and it was a very rare form of bone cancer called chondrosarcoma. And it's it's deadly. It's a deadly and brutal form of cancer, and there's very few treatments for it. And then she writes about it in various places like Elle magazine. And then she gets kind of her dream job. She grew up watching Grey's Anatomy. How did she land that job in the writer's room there? At this point, she started to write essays for a variety of publications, mainly for Elle magazine, detailing the medical horrors that she was suffering through. And evidently, one of these essays uh, made its way over to Shondaland and was read by Shonda Rhimes herself. So as far as I know, the essays that she was explaining her medical trauma ultimately set the stage for her joining Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I've been staffed on two shows, and I think it was more my essays than my actual like script writing. Because when you're in a writer's room for like 10 hours a day, you're just like trying to generate stories. So if you have your personal stories and your friend's personal stories, your family's personal stories are a big part of what you're getting hired for in those rooms. 
yes, that's always been the case. But from what I can tell from speaking with people who work in that profession, the lived experience has only become that much yeah. more important for the entertainment industry. It, it clearly was something Elizabeth was able to leverage and take advantage of, and it really helped propel her forward in her career. And what is the Grey's Anatomy writer's room like? Was it like a highly competitive cutthroat one? Was it like they think of themselves as a family? Like what, what is the vibe over there? Grey's Anatomy is a show that Shondaland produces. And to work for Shondaland is... Shondaland is Shonda Rhimes, who created Grey's Anatomy, then goes on to create like five other hit shows and gets a huge deal at Netflix. Yeah. It's hard to underestimate how powerful and, and successful Shonda Rhimes is. You were talking about, I think, arguably the most powerful TV producer working today. Yeah. Shondaland is very precious about its image. I was a correspondent in Rome and I covered the Vatican, which is an incredibly secretive organization. And I swear, trying to crack Shondaland was like more difficult than getting into the papal conclave. No one <laughs> would talk. It's like there is a strict omerta surrounding it. It's a, a very uh, coveted and prestigious place to work. And they project the image of it being a very family-friendly, progressive, warm and cuddly place to work. And I think for many people it is. But let's be honest, the place is called Shondaland. There's a hierarchy inside these places. And right. if you don't fit into the culture that is there, well, you're out. And Elizabeth's able to use her cancer as kind of a cudgel to shut anyone else up who is trying to pitch a cancer story because she... She has experienced this, so she can kind of shut those conversations down and control them in the room, right? Correct. Yeah. The surprising part of reporting out the story was how much anger there was about Elizabeth, not just because she had fabricated these sort of crazy elements of her life and sold them to some of the most smartest and most powerful people in the industry, but she was kind of nasty to her colleagues in the writer's room. And like you said, Joel, that usually manifested when individuals came in and tried to pitch ideas or stories that cut a little too close to her fictional version of her life. And she was not shy about letting individuals know they had offended her. She would get up and, and storm out of the writer's room when somebody had pitched something that uh, offended her oh, fictional version of her life. Okay. And there's one thing to lie and tell people you have cancer. I don't know if that's one thing, but it, it, it's, it, she went a lot further. Like the things she did in that room to convince people she was sick were amazing, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. She shaved her head for one thing. And she shaved her head and wore a scarf to work every day. Yes. And her skin color was always kind of a pale, like at times would cut, would change. Um, what? she, How? I think she used some sorts of cover up, um, and frequently would feign sickness as she was in, th she was supposed to be going through chemotherapy. So she would race out of the writer's room and run to the bathroom and pretend to throw up and sometimes audibly. So people could actually hear it. No. Oh yeah. She would make the noises and then throw stuff in the toilet. I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> I can only guess. I, or is I, there an app for that that makes the noises for you? That's yeah. incredible. Well, and then she'd come back and then she would nibble on saltines and oh mention to everybody that saltines were the only thing that she could keep down. And she had a porta catheter that she wore. Wait, what? What does that mean? It's a device that when you're going through chemotherapy is basically kind of like an IV into your arm and you wear it underneath 
your shirt and it's like oh, so a, they can just so it's like already in your body so they can put the tubes into it yes she had a fake one that you could see from the silhouette of her t-shirt that was like around her chest or on around her arm and she wore that for i think i mean months if not years the, this is like a full-time job yeah just doing this exactly no no the lengths that she went to to maintain this lie was just it was bonkers and didn't she like fly to minnesota to go to the mayo clinic where obviously she wasn't being treated and just like walk around the halls there she did yes on on multiple occasions she had claimed and told everyone that she was yeah like you said a patient at the mayo clinic which is you know the premier place for people suffering from cancer. But it's not the premier place for people suffering from fake cancer. They actually are not that great there at that. <laughs> well, uh, yes. And she would fly into town. She had friends who lived in Minnesota and they would shepherd her to the clinic and oh she God. would go inside and unbeknownst to these very kind and generous friends of hers, she would obviously not have any appointments, actual appointments set up, but to keep up the ruse, she would go inside and her friends would wait for her in their car or go off and she would tell them to come back in an hour and she would just waste an hour, which it's just hard to comprehend. She's lying not just to the to the Grey's Anatomy people at Shondaland, she's lying to her family and friends and everyone in her life. She's told her parents that she has cancer, like fatal cancer. That's a I can't imagine doing that. Yes. And her friends and their family were going to extreme measures to try and comfort her, bringing her food. They would all rally around her. They would send big care packages. They were these very elaborate efforts to try and boost her spirits. And that went on for years. And that became a bit of a drug for her. So one of the characters on the show, who's a surgeon played by Debbie Allen, they give her Elizabeth's disease, the deadly bone cancer. It, does Debbie Allen pretty much have Elizabeth's exact story in the show? Pretty much. That was very much a conscious move on the part of Elizabeth and the showrunner to literally make her part of the show. So if she had just kept to the cancer, she might have gotten away with it. But she starts to lie about other stuff, too. Like, what are the other things she says happened to her? The two most, I think, shocking ones were that she claimed that her older brother had killed himself and announced this to um, all of the colleagues on Gray's and said that she was going to be out for a while, that she was going to have to deal with... Um, I read the text that she had sent out and she was putting up a very brave front and she didn't want anyone to feel sorry for her, but they wanted everyone to know. So that one was quite shocking. There was the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, the mass shooting at the at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And when that horror, a, a horrible event occurred, Elizabeth claimed that she had been a regular congregant at that synagogue, that she was on very close terms with several of the victims of the shooting, and that she needed to fly to Pittsburgh and said that at after the shooting occurred, that she was let in and witnessed sort of the, the blood. I think, I think she had seen the blood on the floor of the synagogue and... Turns out that was also just a fabrication. She kind of became the Forrest Gump of tragedies, right? Like, it just seems like she's always going to be in the middle of anything that's going on. Yeah, it was a point of absurdity that all of these things could befall one individual. Yeah. After the break, Elizabeth's lies finally catch up with her. But first, our sponsors are going to sell you some products I actually use all the time. Like, every day. I'm totally lying. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. After years of lying, even Elizabeth Finch needed some sort of break from it. And it was that break that led to her undoing. She checks herself into this mental health facility in Arizona. What... Why does she say she's doing that? Why does she do that? When she first checked herself into that treatment facility, it was to deal with the trauma that she had experienced from the Tree of Life shooting, which we now know was yet another fabrication. But at the time, that was her explanation. And by checking herself into that treatment facility, she really set the stage for her unraveling. But was she doing it because she knew she had this like, sickness this about the lying? Or why was she really checking herself in? That's a great question. Elizabeth would say that in the real version, the truthful version of her life, that she did have actual trauma uh, that she had suffered from a, a much earlier age and oh. that she had never really come to terms with it. So she claimed that she suffered from years of psychological and physical abuse uh, from her uh, older brother. That's her explanation. I never spoke or I tried to, but her brother uh, didn't want to participate or comment on anything. So on account of that trauma, that was part of the reason why she felt compelled 
to, to dream up all of these lies and hold on to them, that they were a result of the trauma that she never ultimately confronted. So she checks herself into this treatment facility in Arizona, which is where she meets this woman, Jennifer Byer, who is a nurse from Kansas, who has uh, is there because she survived domestic violence. And she's trying to get her life back together. And they fell in love, right? Correct. Jennifer was in the process of separating from her husband at the time when she checked into that facility. And I think they ended up rooming together. And then they ultimately fell in love. And they basically started a life together. And they got married. And they got married. Yeah, they got married. And um, I think they were very happy for quite some time. To me, the worst decision Elizabeth makes is falling in love with a nurse because she's faking cancer. And 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 now she's got a, you know a medical professional in her life, not just like bogus Grey's Anatomy writers, but someone who actually knows medicine. I mean, yeah, I think Jennifer had a variety of suspicions pretty early on. And I think ultimately they went to doctor's appointments together or some checkups. And the big reveal was that Elizabeth had previously claimed that during the chemo therapy for her the chondrosarcoma cancer, she had they had to take out one of her kidneys. And so she was basically surviving on one kidney. And I think the final straw for Jennifer was when she was at the hospital and the doctor revealed to her that, no, no, actually, Elizabeth has, has two kidneys. That was when I think Jennifer was just had said, okay, and confronted her and demanded that she come clean. And Elizabeth confesses to her. And then Jennifer demands that for them to maintain their relationship and, and stay together, that she has to come clean to her family and her friends. And Elizabeth obviously is extremely you know, upset and nervous about doing this, but she agrees. And so they compile some sort of list of people that she has to come clean to, which are very close friends and family. And they start Sure. meeting with these individuals. And Elizabeth is going on her, <sighs> what I called a confession tour. And it got just basically too uncomfortable for Elizabeth. She said she didn't want to do it anymore. And she backed out. And that was the first split between Jennifer and Elizabeth. That's when things got really bad between them. And Jennifer took matters into her own hands. Yeah, and Shonda Rhimes at this point is making that show Inventing Anna for Netflix, which is about a con artist. And then she gets literally an email in her personal inbox from Jennifer saying that, like, there's a con artist who works for you. Yeah, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Well, some people can. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 they can. <laughs> so you report and write this story. And what effect do you think your story had on Elizabeth's life? It changed her life forever. As soon as that yeah. story came out, she told me nothing would be the same. She was put immediately on administrative leave. She was cut off from all of her former colleagues. The various family members that she was very, very tight with basically disowned her. And her wife, obviously, at that point was leaving her and left her. Her life was just flipped on its head. And it was just devastating. She went from being a star writer, producer on one of the most popular shows in the world to being one of the most, you know, loathed pariahs to come along in Hollywood in a very, very, very long time. And then seven months after this story comes out and you've ruined her life, she tells you that she wants to talk to you. Like, are you totally shocked by this? I was pretty shocked, yeah. Um, but it made some sense 
because she said that she knew that if there was any chance that she was going to be able to rehabilitate her career and her life and try and f- make some sort of comeback, whatever that may ultimately be, she had to go through the crucible of sitting down with with a journalist who's going to ask her very hard questions and mm. who is going to ultimately tell the the full version of her side of the story and then the full story. And were, was it tense when you were at her house or was it comfortable talking to her or like, did you feel guilty? Like, what did you feel like when you were there? I didn't feel guilty. I felt it was a little tense at first. She's, she's got a strange, um, she, she, She's she's got a, a she's she was very demure and very polite, but she's she's got a, a, a she doesn't make you totally comfortable in her presence. Um, so there's there was mm. that just sort of weird dynamic. Basically, I, I went to her house in Topanga and we sat out on this deck, and she's got a very nice house. I never stepped foot inside, and I was fine with that. We sat out on her deck, and it was always very cordial, and we joked around, and she was she liked to laugh, and I was. I asked her really hard and penetrating questions, extremely personal stuff, and she answered everything. And I, I, you know, I ultimately kind of felt really bad for her. Look, she did she did some terrible things, and you, you can start getting into this question of, did, you know, did she hurt anyone physically? No, you know, what exactly did she do wrong? That's a you kind of get into these big big moral questions about where where does this fall in the hierarchy of. I don't know. You lie to your parents about having cancer. You, you did wrong. Yeah, I'm not trying to absolve her in any any way, shape, or form. But it was um, it was a it was just a very intense um experience. It's so hard for you to report this story because you're dealing with a liar. Like, how do you deal with that? Well, you, yeah. I mean, it's hard. It was very challenging. And honestly, I've I've written thousands of stories in my career. I've never really inserted myself in a story like using the first person. Yeah, me neither. And and (laughs) you've made a career out of it. But uh, so on this one, I had no choice, mainly because we had to sort of explain to the reader this sort of complicated situation that we were sharing with them and let them know that, like, you know, I did the best I could. I think Elizabeth was very honest and upfront with me, but, you know, it's hard to tell. And she told you she started lying because she had once hurt her knee. And had a knee replacement and everyone was so nice to her when she had it that she decided to do more of that. Do you buy that? I kind of do. Me too. Well, I, insofar as I think part of her pathology is that she she needs attention and she craves people being around her and caring for her and her feeling special. And so I think the actual injuries she sustained when she was hiking ultimately prompted this certain level of attention and care from her friends. And that for her was her drug. It almost became like an addiction, I think. Yeah. One of the many things I learned from your story was factitious disorder, which some people thought maybe she has. This was fascinating. What is that? It's like when individuals, many of whom work in or adjacent to the medical industry, create health problems for themselves and sell them to their friends and families for a variety of reasons. Many, I think also to draw attention and sympathy to themselves. Right. Like you're a nurse and you hear about some disease and then you claim you have it. And it happens in the healthcare industry. But the weird part of this is that it happened to someone who's, you know, on a TV show about the healthcare industry. Right. Exactly. So she's living in this 
house all the way up in Topanga and her reputation's gone, but she has a plan, right? Like she talked to you about what she thinks she should be doing next. She, we talked about it. She hopes that she can someday mount a comeback. Um, I asked her, you know, if she had her brothers, what would be the dream show for her? And, and what's the show she picked? Well, she picked Handmaid's Tale. Unbelievable. It was the perfect coda to the story, I thought. With the Handmaid's Tale, because she believes that she is the female hero who's going to uh, salvage herself against a world against her. Or what? what is the analogy there? I can read you the quote she gave me. Yes. She says, I- I've struggled with that show a lot, and I love what they're doing in the world of redemption and what redemption looks like and what accountability looks like. It's taken a lot of hits because people have wanted certain survivors, characters who are survivors, to act a specific way. They want them to be less angry or less this or less that. And characters are reacting in all different types of ways to pain and to suffering. So it's another very sort of meta component to an absolutely bizarre story. Peter Kiefer, you wrote The Grey's Anatomy Liar Confesses It All. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Joel. People accuse me all the time of making up stuff in my columns. That I'm like exaggerating what happened, and I'm totally not. I always want to bring out my tape recorder and play them the interview so they know it's totally real. Then again, I've never been invited to be a writer on Grey's Anatomy. So, Shonda, if you're listening, I have this really rare rash on my perineum, and I'm happy to talk about it extensively. At the end of the show, what's next for Joel Stein? Maybe he'll take a nap or poke around online. Our show today was produced by Mo Laborde and Nisha Venkut. It was edited by Lydia Jean Cott. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wang. And our executive producer is Catherine Girardot. And our theme song was written and performed by Jonathan Colton. And a special thanks to my voice coach, Vicki Merrick, and my consulting producer, Lauren Zelaznik. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Joel Stein, and this is Story of the Week. I saw you at a party not long ago. We were talking about this very story because you were about to go do this reporting. And I confess to you that I think I knew about this story before you did and decided that it wasn't worth pursuing. I remember this, Joel. Yeah. It's not a good sign. I think I proved you wrong (laughs) by the mere fact that I'm on your show now, which is a little kind comeuppance for you. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 